0: You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. As we get started tonight, I want to ask uh, if you have this semester uh, volunteered on our media team, on our stage setup and breakdown team, on our greeting team, seating st- team, street- streeters team, or you've helped hold one of the signs at t or UNT, would you stand up for a second? Were y'all even listening to what I just said? If you have volunteered through media team, stage team, campus promotion team, Cedars greeters, Cedars streeters, whatever, uh, stand for a second. Perfect, perfect. Hey, y'all give them a hand because uh, they have they've been people who have come. There's some up in the balcony too. Our media squad is up there. These are people who come every week early um, and uh, even do stuff during the week to get prepared for this. And so uh, I'm just super thankful for, uh, for that crew. Um, you know, it's cool to sing songs like that. Uh, I, I think sometimes because they're songs that we've been hearing since we were little kids and, and this time of year, it's like all over the radio. That's all you hear. Uh, or you go into I don't know, Walmart and they're playing Christmas music, wherever you go, they're playing Christmas music. It honestly kind of gets annoying. Uh, but, but to the point where when we sing these in church or we sing these at overflow, like we don't even really think about what we're singing. And, and part of my hope tonight is to dig into scripture and, uh, and, and look into the story of Christ coming 2,000 years ago and, and maybe put a little bit of, or maybe kind of put a fresh uh, meaning on some of these songs that we sing like tonight when we start singing these Christmas songs. How many of you uh, for Thanksgiving left town, went, went uh, out of town to see family? All right, a lot of you. Uh, how many of you left the state for Thanksgiving? All right, decent amount. Uh, how many of you stayed in Denton, Texas? Yeah. All right, how many of you, um, you ate so much on Thanksgiving that uh, you had to either, one of three things, you had to either uh, change your belt buckle situation, uh, unbutton your pants, or change your pants altogether and put on like stretchy pants. Let me, let me see your hand. All right, everybody else is lying. Um, how many of you, uh, how many of you after you ate, you went into the whole post-meal coma and slept for at least an hour? Let me see your hands. All right, see, now I know a lot of people are lying because. A lot of people raised their hand for, the nat for that, but not the whole change in your pants part. So uh, how many of you cooked like your Thanksgiving meal, or at least contributed cooking? All right. Awesome. Which, by the way, those of you who cooked uh, for our uh, fifth annual whopping pre-Thanksgiving Thanksgiving potluck and bunco party, man, that was some good food. How many of y'all came to that? Yeah, pretty much everybody. If you didn't, you missed out, come next year. Uh, let's see. Uh, what else? How many of you... Um, Shoot, I was going to ask another question. I forgot what it was. All right, well, we're moving on. Oh, no, no, no. How many of you uh, had pumpkin pie this year? All right. How many of you don't like pumpkin pie? Are you serious? All right, everybody who raised their hand on that last one, leave right now. I'm kidding. You stay. Stay, Jay. I'm joking. Uh, I love Thanksgiving, but here's the thing. Thanksgiving is over. And here's what that means. With Thanksgiving being over, Christmas season is like officially here. Now, there's some good and bad that comes with that. I've already kind of said the bad. The bad is you start hearing Christmas music now for, like, the next month, uh, which is, for me, that's bad because it gets old. I-, I could do, like, a week, maybe two weeks of it, but, like, going to every store, every restaurant, they're playing it. It gets annoying. It's on the radio, which the radio in my car doesn't work, so I don't have to worry about that. Um, but then you start seeing Christmas lights pop up. I think uh, the Fowler's sitting over here. If you if you don't know Brandon Fowler, he's, like, uh, Denton's Clark Griswold, uh, But more so like Clark Griswold on on crack, Uh, if you go to their house, uh, they got their whole Christmas lights set up and they danced to music, not the Fowlers danced, the lights danced to music, Um, Christmas lights start popping up everywhere. Last night I left their house probably, I don't know, it was pretty late, 11.30 or so. We were hanging out over there and um, I walked out. I don't know if you knew this, Brandon, but uh, your neighbor across the street was on a ladder at 1130 working on his Christmas lights. I think he had a little bit of this kind of, I don't know, small man syndrome going on as he looked at your house and all the lights in his house wasn't nearly as cool decorated. But um, yeah. Uh, also this Friday night is like my favorite night of the year in Denton. Uh, it's the Denton lighting festival, AKA Wasselfest. fest. Uh, if you've not been to that, let me tell you what it is. Cause I'm going to be there. It starts at five 30. I'll be there at like five waiting, ready to go. Uh, it's on the square And uh, they have some stages set up. There's music and all this stuff. Bands perform and groups perform. I think our church musicians are performing at one one point. But um, all of the businesses and restaurants on the square and around the square, they compete for the best wassail. If you don't know what wassail is, it's like apple cider, sort of. Uh, but better, And uh, yeah, you just walk around and you, you drink wassail and you, you know, vote and you just drink more wassail and you vote and drink more wassail and then you go around and drink more wassail and then you drink some more and it's the best night ever. So uh, I hope you'll join me out there. It's a lot of fun. Um, but this past Sunday, this past Sunday began a season called Advent. And in the word Advent, it means um, it's, it's like the arrival of a notable person or thing or event, and so when we celebrate Advent as believers, what we're celebrating is uh, the time leading up to the celebration of, of Jesus Christ coming to earth 2,000 years ago. And really the way that the church, the way that we as believers view this season is it's a season of preparation. A season where we're preparing our hearts for uh, this celebration, um, celebrating Christ coming. Um, and, and it's a season of preparing our hearts just uh, for what's to come and, and how God wants to lead us and what he wants to do in our lives and through our lives. And so tonight I want to spend a little time looking at what the Bible teaches us about the advent of Christ, the coming of Christ. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter one. So, uh, open your Bibles, Luke chapter one. I'll give you a second to get there. I forgot my water tonight. This is where I would take a drink and I don't have my water. So Luke chapter one, you should know where Luke is. We've been there all semester except for that one night we stayed at Ezekiel. Luke chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 26. If you got it, say got it. All right, verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Okay. So if you know much about Luke, which you should know more about Luke, since we kind of roughly studied part of the book this semester, you can't study the whole book in one semester. Um, But Luke, he pays a lot of attention to detail. You can just see from the introduction that he makes to this entire book, his purpose for writing, one of his purposes for writing was to really provide a good, solid, historical account, so he provides a lot of details, and, and really, he does a good job of giving us some details here of what's about to happen, the advent of Christ, the coming of Christ. Um, And and what's interesting is we're talking about the beginning of a story where a man is coming into the world who was going to be king, a king like no other king this planet had ever seen or will ever see again, and and a guy who's going to reign forever, but not only reign forever, his actions and what he would do in the time that he was here would forever change the world. So, knowing that to be true, you would expect that this story would begin in a place like in their time, Rome. Rome was this massively powerful, strong city, um, or or you would expect that you know a story like this would at least begin in Jerusalem, but it doesn't begin in either of those places. You'd also expect that this story would begin with a guy that's like a like an actual king, like you picture a king. He, he's born into this royal family that has all this power, that's wearing like gold crowns and big old robes, carrying around this wand or whatever kings. What do they call it? Scepters in their hands or. Uh, Or an emperor, you know, like the Roman emperor. You would expect the story would begin like that, but it doesn't begin like that. Um, And and so I want you to see the facts surrounding the story. Verse 26, Luke writes, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now that's interesting right there when you look at what he says, because Nazareth was um, not a big, powerful, influential city. In fact, uh, most had never even heard of this city. If you read through the Old Testament... Uh, it's not mentioned in the Old Testament. Nazareth was this tiny village nestled into the side of a mountain about 70 miles north of Jerusalem. It maybe had 1,600, maybe 2,000 residents at the time uh, of this being written. That's smaller than like Aubrey, Texas. Small place. Uh, you from Aubrey? Yes. A couple people from Aubrey. There you go. Yeah, smaller than that. And that's saying something because Aubrey's pretty small, right? Yeah. Country folk living out there in Aubrey, riding horses and stuff to class. and shucking corn in the morning. Anyways, um, (laughs) now I, I, you know, the, the last census that I saw now Nazareth is only 10,000 people strong. So that's smaller than Denton, smaller than Gainesville. It's a small place, not a notable city, not a notable town even. Um, and it says in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So this, this city, village, town, whatever is in Galilee. And we see from other places in Scripture that Galilee was not a respected region. No one would have expected anyone sent from God to come from Galilee, uh, let alone Nazareth. John 7:41. It says, Others said that he is the Christ, still others asked, How can the Christ come from Galilee? Um, John 1:46. People were saying, Nazareth, can anything good from, come from there? There was no respect for this region, there was no respect for this village. And so it says, verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man. Um, what's the word betrothed mean? It's not really a word we use commonly today. Engaged. You girls jumped on that one. Engaged. <laughs> so Joseph, uh, he liked it, so he put a ring on it. Um, where's, where's, where's Sam Hernandez, Megan Claggett? I know I've already said this, but uh, Sam uh, liked it, put a ring on Megan's finger. And actually, coincidentally, sitting next to them, you've got uh, Sheldon and Ingrid. Sheldon liked it. Put a ring on Ingrid's finger. Uh, is DJ here tonight? DJ? I don't think he is. I haven't seen him. Uh, DJ Dixon liked it. Put it on Aaron, uh, Aaron's finger. And uh, yeah, so a lot of people getting engaged. It's kind of crazy. Um, something's in the water. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but But, you know, you look at this, okay, to a virgin betrothed to a man. We already know based on Galilee and Nazareth, Um, That the person involved is going to be of low social status because those cities, that that city, that region was like not a a region, not a respected area. But by the way Luke describes who we know as Mary, we can see that the social status here gets even lower. Um, as, As both a woman and a young unmarried virgin, Mary had virtually no social status. And the fact that she was a young, unmarried virgin tells us that, and this is crazy, she was most likely 12 to 14 years old. So he says, verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was what? Joseph. And, and if you look at scripture, we know that Joseph was just a local carpenter. And I'm not... That, that was, in their day, that was like, that was like, you know, that's blue collar. I mean, today I guess that's still considered blue collar. Like, it was not a position in their day of, like, high social status. So, what's interesting, I find in this, is you think about what God's about to do through Joseph, through Mary, through Jesus. Going to be born of Mary. And, and this is who God chose to use to set in motion, like, literally the most climactic moment in history. You think of all of the ways this story could have happened, and and if it had been us dreaming it up, it probably would have happened. It doesn't happen like that at all. You've got 12-year-old Mary from this podunk town in this region that nobody liked, up in the hill country, engaged to an uneducated carpenter. Now, I want to pause there for a second. This isn't really where we're headed with the text tonight. I don't think this is the main thing God wants us to get from this, but I do think it's something important. I think, unfortunately, as believers we think we've got to be this super extraordinary person to have any sort of extraordinary impact on the world around us. I think a lot of times we, we think, all right, if I'm going to have any sort of impact of any extraordinary value, I have to be this super extraordinary person. and And then we think if we're not extraordinary, which I would say probably none of us in this room really think that we're extraordinary. Some of you do. That's prideful. You need to stop thinking that. But, I think most of us look at ourselves and we think, okay, we're not like that super extraordinary. And because of that, we we look at our situation and we think we don't have a place in the story. But the reality is, the Bible over and over and over speaks against that. Speaks against that. And here's an example of that in Mary. But God, He's about to forever change history. um, Yet He chooses to to do so through through Mary. He doesn't choose to do it through a princess. But a virgin engaged to a carpenter. He doesn't choose to do it in Rome, but in the never before heard of village in Galilee. Can you imagine, what was the name of the angel that was sent to Mary? Gabriel. Can you imagine what Gabe was thinking when he got this assignment from God? Like, I imagine, I don't know that God gave angels their assignments on scrolls, but that's how I imagine it. He gets a scroll, fancy scroll, you know, and he's walking away with the scroll and uh, he's walking, kind of reading like we walk in text and he's kind of reading it and slows down. And then he's like, yeah, this is a typo. And he takes it back to God, and he's like, hey, dude, this is, not dude, but hey, God, uh, this is, you messed up. Like, you type, this is a typo. And, uh, and I, I feel like God was like, yeah, no, that's not a typo. Get to work, bro. And uh, so the angel of the Lord gave, he goes to this tiny village, nestled into the side of a mountain about 70 miles north of Jerusalem, finds this lowly girl named Mary, and he says to her, verse 28, it says, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, this had to have been shocking to Mary, which we'll look at why it was shocking in a second. Um, I mean, it was never normal for anyone to be greeted like that or to greet somebody else like that, unless maybe they were royalty. Um, But really, no matter what socioeconomic status they held, you didn't address people like that, O favored one. But that's how Gabe addresses Mary. And kind of a side note here, I think this is really cool because you dig into what he's saying And that that phrase, O favored one, uh, in in the Greek, like you look at it in a more literal translation there is, O one who's full of grace. So he says, greetings, one who's full of grace. Now I find that interesting. I find that interesting because of uh, what you read in other places in scripture, like John chapter one, verse 14, as John describes Jesus, he says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So John, John's description of Jesus was one who was full of grace. Luke's description of Mary was one who was full of grace. And I think the reason that Luke describes Mary this way is because of what he says right after this. Greetings, O favored one. What does he say? The Lord is with you. Mary was full of grace, like literally. Because she was literally carrying around in her belly the one who came from the Father full of grace. How cool is that? Anyways, That's a side note. So Gabe comes to Mary and is like, oh, favored one, greetings. The Lord is with you. That had to have been shocking. Because again, Mary, she's young, unmarried virgin, probably 12 to 14 years old. We'll just assume she was 12. Let me ask you ladies, what are you girls thinking about when you were 12 years old? Barbies. Barbies. What'd you say? Wait, what? Oh, your clothes? I thought you said something else. What? Somebody else. Huh? What? Making mud pies? Making mud pies? <laughs> Any, uh, is that like, is this an isolated incident or is this? The Jonas, Brothers. the Jonas Brothers? Oh my gosh. What else? 12 years old. What were you thinking ladies? Hannah Montana? Montana. Hannah Montana? Okay. This is going downhill fast. You know, my, my sister, she's three years older than me, and, uh, like, when she was 12, uh, she was having slumber parties, which, side note, I loved. I, I was nine, I guess, three years, not 12, 10, 9, yeah, and uh, I loved having our living room full of girls that were three years older than me. I, I was a big flirt when I was a little kid, so I'd go in there, and, and uh, you know, they're watching a movie, or they would do this tie-dye stuff. I don't know if that was, like, a thing for y'all, but they'd tie-dye shirts and pillowcases and all this weird stuff, and then all cram in the living room, and I'd, of course, go in there and be like, what's up, ladies? Uh, Look what I can do, you know, and I don't know, pick my nose or do something <laughs> stupid, but. Yeah, Mary was 12, 12 to 14. You know she wasn't thinking about this kind of stuff yet. Like Gabe shows up and says, hey, uh, the Lord's with you. He's about to tell her uh, that she's prego, and she's not even thinking about it. She's barely, she's engaged, but she's barely, I'm sure, barely even thinking about marriage at this point. Probably hardly thinking about kids. Uh, probably wasn't that spiritually deep. I used to be a junior high pastor, and uh, I mean 12 to 13, like that's junior high age, and I'm telling you, um, junior high kids are literally some of the most immature, weird, and obnoxious human beings on the planet. Like, like take braces and acne and uh, uncoordinated, misshaped bodies due to awkward growth spurts, and puberty and the sudden discovery of the opposite sex and put that all into one human and then gather a bunch of other humans like that and put them in one room and that's junior high and it's a mess, it's weird, it's awkward. And this is the phase that Mary was in. Uh, Those are some weird years. Mary was in her weird years. And and I would guess at this point in her life... uh, Culturally speaking, she was just starting to get down and master the duties of caring for the household. Yet Gabe shows up and says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, if you're married, how do you respond to something like that? Like this celestial being, this freaking angel, shows up on your doorstep and, and says to you, or what's up, you know, calling you woman full of grace? She had to have been thinking, this, this cat has got the wrong address to which Gabe is saying, I know. I was thinking the same thing. So I went to God and was like, hey, I think you messed up here. And he's like, no, I didn't mess up here. Go to Mary. And uh, I already checked. He's saying, I already checked. I'm in the right place. So when Mary finally realizes that this wasn't a mistake, verse 29 happens, but she was greatly troubled at the saying, which of course I would be too, um, especially if an angel told me I was pregnant. But the angel, uh, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be in, in verse 30. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. So she's probably thinking um, this angel shows up. You ever seen, this is old. Did you ever see the, the show Touched by an Angel? Yes? Okay, so yeah, I don't know if you remember that show, but there was like the good angel and then there's this the death angel. Whenever he came into a scene, you knew somebody was about to like die. And I just picture Mary's there and this angel shows up and she's like, oh, man, dang it. Like, really? Like, I'm about to be done? This is it? And he's like, no, no reason to be afraid. Like, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not that angel. That's another dude. I'm here for different reasons. He says, don't be afraid. And then he explains why she shouldn't be afraid. Verse 30, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So again, imagine that 12 year old Mary, like put yourself in your 12 year old shoes, ladies. Some angel shows up and is like, surprise, you're pregnant. Uh, And it's a boy. Now that in and of itself would be like crazy, shocking, freaky. But looking at everything that this angel says, that's really not what was shocking. He says, verse 32, or verse, yeah, verse 32, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will gift him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Angel shows up, says, You're pregnant, it's a boy, his name's Jesus. He's going to be a king, and he's going to rule forever. Imagine Mary's response. What? Okay, okay, okay. So first of all, you're saying I'm pregnant. Bro, I ain't even ever slept with anybody yet. I'm engaged to be married, haven't had sex, uh, but I'm pregnant. Yeah, Uh, it's a boy, and he's a king, and going to rule the world forever. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But that's what Gabe said, and the angel of the Lord had come to Mary to say, God has chosen you, Mary, to to bear something, to carry around in your body something, to be the avenue through which God delivers something to the world that will forever change it. Here's what's happening. God, in Luke 1, was preparing the way for Christ to enter the world. It was a season of preparation, the advent of the coming Christ. And tonight we find ourselves, as a ministry, as individuals, and, and collectively, as a body of believers, we find ourselves in a very similar season. But not just because it's, it's advent leading up to Christmas, or so the first coming of Christ. But because we're in an Advent season leading up to Christ's return, the second coming of Christ. And and as I was thinking about tonight, there's there's a lot of things this semester in this Safe But Dangerous series that I I wanted to cover in Luke. Honestly, I I really debated, considering actually five years ago, uh, back in 2011, I debated, let's do a whole study of Luke. Which to to really do a verse-by-verse study of Luke would take probably two, maybe three years. I, I literally debated doing that. Um, I'm kind of glad I didn't for various reasons, but I did debate doing a, a study of Luke through this fall and next spring. We're not going to do that, and so I, I had trouble like deciding, okay, what do we teach? What do we not teach? Because you can't cover everything, and I'll just tell you this whole time that I'm, I'm studying Luke this semester and leading up to this semester, Luke 21 really stuck out to me, and I want to I look at this because, again, I'm telling you that we are in an Advent season as a ministry, as believers in Christ, We're in Advent season, not just because Christmas is a few weeks away. We're in an Advent season because Christ's return is coming soon. And I want you to see this in in Luke 21. And just know, I'm not standing here saying that Christ is coming back tomorrow. I have no clue when he's coming back. But the reality is, Scripture speaks to some things that if you don't know are there, I think you're going to be surprised to hear this tonight, Um, especially considering some of the events that are happening around the world. Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse 5. It says, and while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Which just pause for a second. I think this is worth noting. I think we as believers, as followers of Christ, so often we get our minds caught on the wrong things. We get so focused on the wrong thing. And you see that here with these guys. They were so focused on how beautiful their building was that they met him. They were so focused on something that ultimately wasn't going to matter in the end. And Jesus calls them out on that. And and we need to realize, I think we get focused on those wrong things too. And I think if Jesus was here, he'd call us out on that as well. Like I think so many times we're pointing to stuff like, Jesus, look at that. Isn't that so awesome? And he's like, honestly, I don't care about that. There's some other things that I care a whole lot more about. And that's what he does here. So verse 6, he says, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here. One stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, see that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he. And the time is at hand. Don't go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, don't be terrified for these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. Verse 10, then he said to them, nation will rise against nation. And kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes. And a very, Let me just pause here. Are you, are you hearing this? You go back to verse 9. And when you hear of wars, verse 10, nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. You look at what has just happened in Paris. You, you, if you pay attention to the news at all, you're always hearing about ISIS and Boko Haram and Al-Qaeda. Uh, if you've paid attention to the news last week, you know, Russia and Turkey, they're, they're on the edge of going at it now. Then you have Iran, you know, on the verge of this nuclear deal happening. Uh, honestly, the U.S. has a big part in it. And Iran has this interesting, shady connection with Russia. Then you have China. I don't know if you've noticed this. China is building the, literally building islands out in the ocean. And on these islands, they're building airstrips and moving military equipment and personnel to these islands. Uh, there's some interesting stuff happening right now. There's, there's wars taking place. And, and here you, you, you see this in this text. I, I just I find it interesting. Verse 11, there will be great earthquakes. Um, and as, as I was preparing, preparing for tonight, I was just kind of looking at recent headlines about earthquakes. Yesterday, there were seven earthquakes in Oklahoma. One was big enough to where it was felt 300 miles away in Iowa. Uh, I found a website today that tracks all the earthquakes around the world. And uh, according to this website, there were 34 earthquakes today alone. I don't know how that compares to every other day. Maybe that's a regular thing. I don't know. Biggest one was like 5.6. April 2015, just a few months ago, Nepal. I don't know if you remember that. The the Nepal earthquake, I mean, destroyed tons and tons and killed so many people. Massive earthquake. And you read on, verse 11, there will be great earthquakes in various places. Famines, that's all over the news. Pestilences, um, which, you know, you think about uh, the Ebola virus. That happened not too long ago, pestilences, that's just death taking place. There will be terrors. You look at terrorism that's happening all over the world. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they'll put to death. So in other words, like, he's saying you're going to be persecuted in such a way that even, like, your parents, they're going to hate so much that you're following Jesus that they're going to push you away and even turn you over to the authorities. Verse 17, You, you, will, be hated for my, you, will, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. You know, I know when we read this, we think, okay, the time isn't coming yet because really that's not happening to us. There there is persecution that's beginning to rise up in this country. And if you don't recognize that, you need to recognize that um, because that is happening. There's been some significant decisions that have been made in the past year in this country that is leading to, I think, uh, some pretty serious persecution towards believers, towards Christians. But I do think in general, reread that text and we think, okay, that's not happening yet, so this is still all the way off. But here's what I was thinking the other day. I wonder, believers uh, in the Middle East, believers in South Asia, believers in China, um, believers in places like that, when they read that text, I wonder what they're thinking. Honestly, you know, you're, you're seeing these headlines of these, these believers uh, getting their heads chopped off by ISIS. In other terrorist groups, I just wonder if they think, as they read this, they're actually living in this time right now. I think sometimes we're so distant from what's happening around the world that we we just kind of ignore this text. And the reality is we shouldn't ignore this text. 70% of believers around the world are being persecuted in some way. Many of them are being persecuted in physical, violent ways. Skip down to verse 25. It says there will be signs in, in sun and moon and stars, you know, again, I'm not this doomsday, but it has been interesting the past few months to see the blood moon take place other things happening in the, in the heavens. There will be signs and sun and moon and stars on the earth, distress of nations and, and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. I mean, past few years there's been crazy tsunamis that have just destroyed villages, destroyed cities, um, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory you skip down to verse 29 it says he told them a parable he said look at the fig tree and all the trees as soon as they come out in leaf you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near And basically what he's saying is, like, I'm just looking outside now. uh, You know, in Texas, we don't get much of a fall. But there is, like, that day and a half where the leaves change before they fall to the ground. Um, So we don't have much time to prepare for the winter. It just hits us like crazy. Um, And then it's summer the next day. But, like, in most parts of America, they have a season where the leaves slowly begin to change colors. And when the leaves begin to change colors, you know... Winter is coming, and then all the leaves fall off the trees, and the trees are bare for a few months. But then you start to see that little sprout come from those trees. It's usually, you know, a lot of trees will sprout like white little flower-looking things before they get real green. And you know when that begins to happen that spring is coming. And when those leaves go into full bloom, uh, you know that summer's coming. The seasons show us so much, and we can learn so much by the way God created the earth. And one of the things we can learn is we need to look for the same sort of signs of what's happening around us so that we can be prepared for when Christ comes back. And he gives us what those signs of the changing of the season are, and I'm telling you, we're seeing a lot of those signs. This isn't our Advent just because Christmas is coming and we're gonna celebrate what Jesus did 2,000 years ago when he showed up as a little baby boy. This is our advent because we are in a time of preparation for Christ's second coming. And you've got to see that. Look at at what he writes. Look at what Jesus says. Verse 28, backing up a little. He says, Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Verse 34, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation. You know what that word dissipation means? It means um, squandering. Means squandering of your money, your energy, your resources. Be watch or but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that they come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all. I have that circled in my text. It will come upon all, on every single person. None of us is gonna. None of us is like um, excused from this. It will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. It says right there, but stay awake at all times, praying. Does that sound familiar to you? There's another place in Scripture where Jesus tells some people to stay awake and pray. Do you remember where that was? I heard you whisper it. The Garden of Gethsemane. If you flip back to uh, Matthew 26 is one of the places where it records that. But if you were to flip there... Jesus takes his disciples into the garden. He takes three of them further into the garden, and he tells them, listen, stay awake and pray. And Jesus goes off, and he prays, and he comes back, and what were the disciples doing? Sleeping. He wakes them up, and he says, could you not stay awake with me? Stay awake and pray, he says again. He leaves. He comes back. What does he find the disciples doing? Huh? Sleeping again. But notice, this time he doesn't wake them up. He lets them continue to sleep. So he leaves again. He prays. He comes back. And what does he find them doing the third time he comes back? Yeah, still sleeping. This time he wakes them up and he says, Listen, you've got to wake up. The hour has come. And in that moment, what happens? This mob of people shows up to brutally, aggressively, violently arrest Jesus and pull him away. By the time they woke up, it was too late. Jesus says the hour has come. You know, in Scripture, there's two hours that are referred to, the hour of Christ's uh, crucifixion and the hour of Christ's return. We are not in the hour of Christ's crucifixion. That's happened. We are now living in the hour of Christ's return. And I fear that we're just like the disciples. Jesus has told us to stay awake and pray, and he's left, but he's coming back. And graciously, like he did with the disciples, he woke them up, he gave them a shot, he woke them up, and he said, look, you got to wake up. He leaves again, he comes back, they're still asleep, but that time he didn't wake them up. And I just wonder, for how many of us in this room, that, that describes this perfectly. In this season of Advent, where we should be preparing ourselves for Christ's return the coming of a very notable person, the savior of the world, the one who's going to come and reign forever. Instead of preparing, we're sleeping. Instead of preparing, we're being weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of the world. This is our advent. And, and, and the question on the table tonight is Are you ready? Like, seriously, are you ready, as it says, to stand before the Son of Man? You are not invincible. Your life will not last forever. It will either be cut short by death or by the return of Christ. And my question is God's question is, Jesus' question is, God's word is asking us tonight are we ready? God sent Jesus into the world for a purpose. I think because of the way that uh, culture has spun Christmas, we've lost sight of that purpose. Jesus didn't come so we could, um, I don't know, get really excited on Christmas Eve, getting our PJs, uh, have our family tradition of picking one present to open Christmas Eve. My family, my dad always gets us all PJs, uh, and so we get to open our PJs, whatever. I know it's weird. I'm 31, and I open PJs on Christmas Eve. I just realized I confessed that to everybody. Uh, anyways, uh, and then go to sleep, of course, leave out the cookies and the milk for Santa Claus. Come eat them, which, by the, never mind, I think there's kids in here. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Santa Claus, come eat the, uh, I can't look that way now. Uh, for Santa Claus, wink, to come eat the, uh, the cookies and the milk. Uh, of course, I'm going to tell my kids that Santa Claus likes uh, uh, ribeye steak cooked medium. But, you um, Jesus didn't die for us to, to do that, leave the cookies and milk out, wake up early in the morning, open up our presents, be excited, go through the stockings, all that junk, and decorate Christmas trees and all that stuff, like after Thanksgiving, and then, and then have you know late breakfast, brunch, whatever you call it, and then spend the rest of our days in our PJs watching the elf. He didn't die for us to do that. Jesus came because we needed him to come. Jesus came because if he doesn't come 2,000 years ago, then the only thing that we have to look for Forward to is death and hell. If he doesn't come 2,000 years ago, then we absolutely have to do whatever we can to squeeze every little ounce, bit, thing out of this life that we can because once this life is over, that's it. We're dead and we are suddenly standing before God and standing under his wrath. Jesus came because without Jesus, we remain dead in our sin. We might be physically alive, but we're spiritually dead. And the only way you'll be able to, as it says in verse 34, stand before the Son of Man is if you know him and if he knows you. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, we've read this a lot in here. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Like that was the factor. He never knew them. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. John 17, three, Jesus, as he's praying, he says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's what eternal life is. Not to know about Jesus, but to know Jesus. And my question is, are you ready? The season of preparation. Romans 13, 11 says something to the effect of, uh, wake up from your slumber. Salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Ephesians 5 says the same thing. Wake up, the days are evil. And we've been doing this series, Jesus is safe but dangerous. And as we close it out, I want to remind you, he's safe because it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what kind of baggage you bring to the table. It doesn't matter what kind of past you have, what kind of present you are in. He wants you. He's pursuing you. He came 2,000 years ago for you. He's safe in that regard. But he's dangerous because he calls you into a deep, intimate relationship with him. And some of you are terrified to be known like that. God wants to know you deeply and he wants you to know him deeply. And for some of you, that's the scariest thing you could ever do. But for you, when you think how scary it might be for someone to know every little thing about you, I want to remind you, he's safe. Again, he's safe in regards to all that junk that you're trying to hide. But then again, I want to remind you that he's dangerous. Because all who don't know him in the end will stand under God's wrath in the end. John 3.16, you know the scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave us one and only life or one and only son so that whoever believes in him won't perish or die but have everlasting life. After that, Jesus goes on to say, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. You already stand condemned in your sin. I came in the world to save you from the condemnation that you already have. And so as we realize tonight that we are in this Advent season, again, not just because of Christmas but because of the fig tree, because of the obvious signs that the season is changing, that we're now preparing for the second coming of Christ, I want to ask you the question, are you ready? Are you ready to stand in front of the Son of Man? Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.